Thanks for checking out the Ascent Church podcast. Our mission is to reach, equip, and impact others exactly where they are as we rise to new life in Christ. We hope that this message encourages you. Now, here's Pastor Thomas Lane. The series we're in is called Prone to Wander. Here's why. It's because we drift. We wander. We're constantly going from this thing to that thing to fulfill us, to give us purpose, to give us meaning in life. And I really think one of the big things we look for is purpose. That's what we're talking about today. We're talking about purpose. Because sometimes you feel like you got more in you. Right on. Some of you, you feel like a Ferrari. Am I, you, are you with me? Vroom, vroom, baby. But you're just sitting, you're just, you're just sitting in the drive-through line at Chick-fil-A. Now there's nothing wrong with the drive-through line at Chick-fil-A, especially if it's a double drive-through. Y'all know what I'm talking about? The double drive-through. They love us so much, don't they? My pleasure. My pleasure. You know who else has a double drive-through line? Cookout. I'm just saying it. Hashtag trays for days. Go to cookout, go pick a lane. They, they'll serve you at either one. They're so wonderful there. But um, sometimes you feel like a Ferrari and you're just idling. You're just sitting there and you may feel like I got more in me. I'm capable of something else. But the nine to five, the in and out is just not cutting it. I feel like I was built for so much more. And I came to tell you, you're right. You absolutely are. God put so much love and purpose in you. And so many of us don't quite tap into that. You see, so many of us, we grind, we work hard, we work and we work and we work just so we can buy more stuff, have a better boat, go on this trip. I heard it said like this. This is what a lot of us do. It's kind of sad, but I think it's true. This is what a lot of us do. We spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't even like. We want to look good at that stoplight, baby. Someone pulls up to you, be like, you like this? (laughs) They don't know how much debt you're in, but who cares, right? You're like, I look good. You'll never talk to them. They don't know you, but that's what we do. That's what we do. And some of y'all, you're just, you're like, it's not cutting it. I feel like I need meaning somewhere else. I need purpose somewhere else. And I came to tell you, you are actually a Ferrari. You were made for so much more. You were made in the image of God for a great purpose. And he has so much more for your life. So let's pray because I'm getting fired up and then we'll start preaching. All right, let's pray. Let's bow our heads. God, I just thank you for this group. I thank you that we can have fun. I thank you that we can get a little silly and celebrate a little bit. God, I ask that you can challenge us and draw us close. God, we're talking about some um, intense topics today. And God, I ask you to help everyone's heart be receptive and open to a challenge. God, um, just help us get to know you better. Help us love you better. Love our spouses better, love our families better, and just make an impact in this city. We love you, and we thank you for this opportunity. In your son's good name, we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to start in the Bible in this book called Isaiah. It's Isaiah 6. Now, if you've never read the Bible, if you don't know the Bible, that's completely fine. Okay, you'll, you'll catch right up. I'll, I'll get you brought up to speed. It's Isaiah 6. You can follow along in a Bible or right up here behind me. There's an app called YouVersion. We have all the notes and scripture right there, or you could just look behind me. All the scripture, all the verses from the Bible will be right up there. Let's talk about Isaiah, what he had to say. Isaiah 6, pretty Famous passage, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, Isaiah, according to tradition, was King Uzziah's nephew. So his uncle was the king. His uncle just passed away. His uncle, they, maybe they were close. Maybe he called him Uncle Uzi. Da, 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 da. Okay, we don't know. If, I, if my name was Uzziah, I would go by Uzi. 
I think that's a cool name. Uncle Uzi sounds hot. Okay. So it's, it's a gangster kind of king name. So it's a tough time though, because he just passed away and he had been ill for a while. This isn't something that came overnight. Uncle Uzi had been sick for a while and Isaiah's writing about it, but this was a time of turmoil and upheaval. Could you imagine living in a society where politics divided people? Could you imagine that? Got me right? Could you imagine where people would like snatch hats off each other at restaurants, like at Chili's and like argue on Facebook? Like, could you imagine? Isn't that just crazy? I can't imagine living in a time like that. But there was a lot of, I'm totally being sarcastic if you haven't caught that. If you ever are like, the Bible doesn't relate to me, it's thousands of years old. Okay, there was political upheaval, then it's now too. So you're like, I feel you. I feel you, Isaiah. What was happening was his whole life was changing. Remember, he was nephew to the king, so he was royal. Some of y'all love royal everything. I love you ladies, but you love anything royal. If it's a magazine with a princess on it, you bought it. Okay, royal wedding. I'll watch it for six hours. We're into that sort of thing. Our culture loves royal. Isaiah was a royal, okay? He was in. He was wealthy. He was probably good looking. He had a lot of prospects. He was a very talented young man, but his whole life was about to change. Politically, things were changing. Okay, there was probably some fear. Are we going to get invaded? We don't have a king right now. Are we going to get invaded? Is there going to be a coup? There's a lot of instability. Economically, what does this mean? Do I still have a job? Am I going to be out on the streets? It's a tough time. His family was suffering. His family was asking questions. Spiritually, maybe he was asking questions like, if God really loved us, why would he die? If God really loved us, why would we be going through a tough time? Why would we be lacking a king? Has anyone noticed that God seems to be a little closer in the times of a tragedy. Now I came to tell you, I love you. I'm not trying to burst your bubble, but he is not any closer in a time of a tragedy. He is always close. But I think in times of tragedy, it unravels some stuff. It reveals some things. I think we start to focus on the right stuff. And in those moments, we realize what was actually happening all along, that he was close, that he has counted every hair on our head, that we are the apple of his eye. It almost reveals what we should have already known. What we should have already known. Y'all are excited today. And that gets me excited. I like that. I would stomp on this carpet, but it doesn't make any noise. So I'm not going to do that. But you need to realize this. Sometimes it takes a tragedy for you to see that God is still on his throne. Sometimes it takes a heartbreak. Sometimes it takes that divorce. Sometimes it takes that person leaving you. It takes that that job you wanted that you got denied for. Sometimes it takes that for you to stop and realize, oh my God, he's still on his throne. He's still in control. He's still in charge. He still has a plan. Sometimes it takes tragedy for us to understand that. Because look what Isaiah said. This is a dark time. This is not a happy time. This isn't a happy-go-lucky time. This is a time of tragedy. But what did he see? In the year King Uzziah died, in the year Uncle Uzi died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So Isaiah, and we don't know what he's doing. Maybe he's just going to worship. Maybe it's because of the death. We're not quite sure. But Isaiah is going to the temple to worship. It's just like you going to church. All right, I'm going to worship. I'm going to church. And it almost, he almost seems shocked, doesn't he? As if the last person you'd ever expect to see in church was God. You get there, it's like, what are you doing here? 
Like, could you imagine? Could you imagine for a second? You come into church, you get a high five, you're feeling good, right? You get the music's bumping. It kind of sounds like Drake. I don't know what they're playing. This sounds good. I come in, I get that donut I love. I walk by that cute girl. I've been meaning to talk to her. Haven't got the guts yet. I'm going to do it next week. I promise. I walk by her. I'm excited. I sit down and you sit there. And what do you see? Jesus. You'd be a little shocked. Don't you lie to me. You'd be a little like, whoa, what's going on? That's what happened to Isaiah. That's what happened to Isaiah. You see, his expectation seems off. Let's talk expectations for a minute because they're so important. What are your expectations leading up to church? What are they? Thursday, Friday, Saturday, maybe Saturday night or Sunday morning. What are your expectations? Are you thinking, well, we went last week. We're probably good. You know what I'm saying? Like we could check that off. We're probably, we're probably good. I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty, but I do really want this to be the best hour of your week. I want you to look forward to church. I want you to be in church. I want you to grow. I want you to make friends. I want you to connect. I want you to actually love being here and not have to uh, roll your eyes and say, we have to go to church because your kids are watching that. I want you to say, we get to go to church. We get to learn. We get to worship freely. We get to celebrate. Your kids are tapping into that. Some of y'all, the second you hit 18, you quit going to church because your whole life, your dad probably or somebody said, oh, got to go to church today. And so the second you were an adult, you're like, I'm out. Why would I want to do that? The average person attends church every third week today. And I get we're busy. We have stuff going on, but I want you to be close to Jesus. I want you to be growing. I want you to have the, the strength to fight whatever fight comes your way. I want you to be close. I don't think anything is more important than a, straight, than, a, than a tight, strong relationship with our creator. But that's like saying, I want to get in shape. I just ate some of my kids' Halloween candy. Who's there? Don't you lie to me. Put your hands up. I see you. I was pushing my son in the stroller. I was just having my pick. Sour Patch Kids are my favorite. What's your favorite candy? So you've been eating the candy, you know Thanksgiving's coming, you know Christmas is coming and Christmas cookies are coming. You're like, I should exercise. Being in church every third week and wanting to be, you know, spiritually fit is the same as saying, I'm going to be fit. I'm going to go to the gym an hour this month. That's what we do. That's what we do. We're saying hours fine. We'll knock it out. But no, no, no. We might need a little more based on the amount of cheesecake we're consuming. Cheesecake isn't my thing. I'm sorry. I'm a, I'm a chocolate chip cookie kind of guy or Reese's cup. Oh man, keep the Reese's away from me. It's a problem. It's a problem. But I want y'all to make this a priority. Let me ask you this. Let me, here's another question on expectations. Here's another one. What do you think on the way? And do you think, are they going to play the songs I like? Kate, are you thinking, are they going to play the songs I like? Are they going to teach the lesson I want to hear? Because that can jack you up because maybe you're sitting in church and you're like, I didn't want that song. That might trick you to be thinking it's about you. I love you, but it's not. We're not here for you. We're here for him. And yeah, you benefit. You get to meet people and have a blast and grow, but we're here for our good. And obviously the most important thing is his glory. We're here for him. And when you start saying things like that sermon wasn't for me, I didn't get anything out of that. I didn't like that song. You almost trick yourself to thinking it's about me. It's not. And you could be sitting there thinking that sermon, I didn't love that sermon. That song, pass. But you have no idea that the person behind you just gave their life to Jesus through that song. Or that marriage was just saved. Or God was doing something in somebody's heart that hadn't been to church in 30, 40, 50 years. And while you are whining, they are putting their hands up for the first time. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't miss what he's doing. 
Here's another expectation we struggle with. I do this one. I say, where are we having lunch after? Where are we going to hashtag brunch so hard? Where are we going? What's the plan? And I get that because I'm hungry right now. Even th- I shouldn't have said brunch. But the, the problem is you're so focused on the after, you miss the now. You're so focused on, we got to go to Kroger. We got to go to that thing, that party we don't want to go to. My kid will whine if we don't go. So we're going to that party. Then we got baseball. Then we got to run to the errands where you're missing everything I'm saying. You didn't hear a word. You might as well not even come. You didn't hear anything. Y'all, what if you had an expectation? What if when you came to church, you had the thought and you say it in the car in front of your wife, kids, everybody, you say, what does God want to show us today? What does, what does he want to do today to draw us closer? What does he want to show us? How does he want to grow us? Not even on Sundays at church, but what if you woke up every day with that thought? How does he want to grow me as a mother today? How can I be a better husband today? When you're doing things you don't even think about, you just kind of roll your eyes. It's just life. Maybe it's the nine to five. Which coworker does he want me to pray for today? Who does he want me to invite to church today? Which lady at preschool, we all pick up the kids, we drop them off, we get it. But which lady looks a little lonely? She might need someone to talk with. She might, maybe God wants me to invite her to my group or for coffee or invite her to my church. If you have that expectation, I believe God would do so much more in your life. I don't think Isaiah was expecting it. I don't think he saw it coming. Verse two, it's about to get real. Above him, Above the Lord were seraphim, which are like angelic beings. Above him were these seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. With two, they were flying. And they, call, they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, this is a little different than our usual view, usual view of God. Because when we think of God in this culture, we think kind of that he gives me the goosebumps. He's kind of a warm fuzzy. I like him. In scripture, it says two things are going to smack you in the face if you have a real interaction with God, his holiness and his glory. Holy means other, his otherness. He's beyond, he's greater, he's holy, he's separate, his other. Glory means weight. It means weight. It means importance. It means substance. Those two things will smack you in the face if you have an interaction with him. And you got to realize this about Hebrew because this was written in Hebrew. If, if in English we want to magnify a word, maybe I, went to, maybe I went to cookout for the first time and I sink my teeth into the tray for the first time and I say, man, this is very good. Hebrew wouldn't say very good. They say, this is good, good, which is almost more fun. It's almost more fun instead of saying very tasty to say, this is tasty, tasty. There's a point in Genesis 14, they, they're walking and they come across a pit, like a pit, not a pit, a pit. And it was a deep pit. And rather than say, this was a, a deep pit, it says, this is a, a pit pit. Like this is a pity pit. This is the pittiest pit you've ever pit you've ever seen. That's how Hebrew works. The only time in scripture a word is thrice multiplied is with God's holiness. He ain't holy. He ain't even holy, holy. He's holy, holy, holy. He's in a whole nother category, a whole nother level, incomparable to nothing. That's how holy our God is. And that's the thing that struck Isaiah. It just smacked him right across the face. These angels who apparently exist in his presence are still trying to process his holiness. They're still singing, shouting to each other. And here's what I want to say is that most of us treat God as a means to an end. 
God, give me a happy life. God, help me fulfill all my goals and my dreams. God, keep me comfy, keep me safe. But I want to challenge you today. This whole series has been challenging, I think, for a lot of us. I want to challenge you today. I don't want this to be a light workout. I want you to get a little sweat on. You know what I mean? Some of you go to the gym and I've seen you. You get the three pounders. You're like, what's the lightest thing here? And you get your threes and you do some curls. You put them down. Facebook. Do some curls. No, no, no. I, y'all, some of y'all don't know what this means, but I want today you to hit a one rep max. Who knows what that is? Where are the CrossFitters at? We got a few in the house. One rep max is you give it all you got. That's all you got on deadlift or squat or bench or whatever. I want you to give it all you got today. I'm going to ask you some tough questions. In your life, who's on the throne? Meaning this, who has the final say? Is God on the throne and we approach him and he calls the shots of our life? He gives us direction or am I on the throne, right? And he comes to me and I say, God, I need you for this. I need you then. I don't need you now, go away. I don't like that, go away. But I need you to come here when I need you. Who's on the throne? Are you asking him to serve you or do you serve him? Let me ask you this, who revolves around who? Does your life revolve around his? Or are you asking asking him to say, hey, God, can you fit into my life? Who calls the shots? When's the last time God has contradicted you? This may reveal the answer. If you can honestly never be like, I don't know what time God contradicted me. I can't think of a time this week, month, year where I was going this way and God said, ah, you know, honey, that's not the best call for you. I want you to go this way. If God can't contradict you, it's because you're on the throne. And you just dismiss your personal assistant when you don't need him. You ignore the call. You don't respond to the email. You might have a a spam filter set up for him. He tries to reach you like, I don't have time for that. But if he's on the throne, he can contradict you. Let me ask you this. This might reveal it. Is God a concept or a reality? There's a difference between knowing of God and knowing God. Because some of y'all, you just know of God, but you don't know God. Here's here's an example. I know of LeBron James, but I don't know LeBron James. If I was at a place where LeBron James was present, I could say, hey, LeBron, and security would be called. The difference between knowing of LeBron James and knowing LeBron James is I might know his Instagram profile. I might follow him. I might know some stats. But if I went to a party or an event and I knew LeBron James, he would be like, yo, T, what's up? That's a very different experience. For so many of us, God is not a person you interact with. He's a concept. You just check the list. You just check the box. Keep my wife off my back. Keep the kids happy. You know what I'm saying? I'm not digging into this too much. You are a concept, not a reality. This may be the last one. This might get you because I want to know if he's a concept or a reality, if he's on the throne. Is God to you like, I'll be the house elf? And he just pops up and does his little wand. Is he like Tinkerbell? Does he got a short skirt on and he just has magical pixie dust? And he's just, he's just throwing it all over and just a little sprinkle here, a little sprinkle here. I got my little wand. I do my thing. Is that what God is to you? And if you don't want him, you just flick him. You just boop. I hope nobody was recording that. It's a weird moment. If y'all share that, if y'all boomerang that online. Verse four. Verse four, at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, 
the Lord Almighty. See, something that was almost understood in the old days, not so much anymore, is that we finite beings, sinful beings, broken beings, cannot stand in God's presence. Nowadays, we're kind of entitled. We're like, darn it, answer my prayers. I deserve it. I earned it. But back in the day, everyone understood this much better that a broken being standing in the presence of the perfect, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. It's overwhelming. Woe to me, Isaiah said. That's a curse upon himself. That's a curse. He's, he's, putting a, he's a prophet. He's putting a curse upon himself. This isn't like the first time you tried a Chick-fil-A chicken nugget and you bit into it and you said, oh, Lord. Okay, he's not saying like, woe to me, oh Lord. He's saying, woe to me, this is a curse. That phrase right there, I'm ruined, literally means I'm coming apart. It means I'm, I'm melting, I'm wax. He can't stand in his presence. Isaiah's background was this. I told you he was of nobility. History says his uncle was the king, but most importantly this, he was a gifted orator. He was a gifted speaker creator. And in an oral culture, he had it made. If if you're like, I don't know if he was that talented. We're still reading his book 3000 years later. He had some gifts. He had some gifts. Read the rest of Isaiah. It's absolutely an artistic masterpiece. He was gifted. And I think he relied on that. I think he relied on that and said, you know what? I'm royal. I'm a good speaker. Maybe I'm the next king. I got this gift. The ladies love me. I'm paid well. I have this thing. And because of that, I'm going to base my identity on that. I think he had this thing. But the thing he based his identity on, his words, his ability to speak, this was the thing he realized which was most broken in his life. That thing which was so central to him. The thing he put so much weight on. I wanted to tell you this. The thing that you base your identity on is often the thing that is the most broken. That thing on which you base your identity on is often the thing in your life that is the most broken. You see, we all have something we're pretty good at, or maybe we're great at it. Maybe, maybe like you're, you're good looking and you're good looking and you've never had to worry about a date or anything. It's just kind of like, I'm fine. You fine. Let's get it popping. You know, you get a date, you know, it's, but to be beautiful, if you stood in the presence of God, you would unravel too because he's infinitely beautiful. Maybe you feel like you're strong. I'm tough. I can get through anything. I'm a tough person. But if you stand in the presence of the almighty, you start to realize maybe I'm not so strong. I base my identity on something and it's kind of unraveling. It's kind of coming apart. You know, you may, you, you know, you thought you were strong. You know what I'm saying? You thought you were powerful, but then you feel like a frail body. You say, I feel so weak right now. I feel so powerless right now. I feel like a crossfitter right now. That was a joke at CrossFitters. Let's arm wrestle later. Someone's going to challenge me and kick my butt. Maybe you feel smart. Maybe you feel wise. Maybe you, you know all the answers. You're gifted intellectually. You always know what to do. But if you stand in God's presence, you realize, I don't actually know as much as I thought I did. I'm not as wise as I thought I did. I feel lost. I feel completely uneducated like a UVA graduate. Shots fired. (gasps) Bang, bang. (laughs) Y'all, the point is this. (laughs) They should have never given me a microphone. The point is this. The point is this, that God loves you too much to keep basing your identity on something temporary. 
And when God sweeps that thing out from under you, that thing you've been standing on, that thing you've been basing your comfort on, the thing you've been basing your identity on, when he sweeps that out from under you, it knocks you flat. It knocks you flat. There's a pastor, Tim Keller. He says this, and it really is true. You may be out there thinking, I don't like this kind of God. That doesn't sound appealing to me because I want to have high self-esteem. You're just pushing me in the dirt. I don't feel good. Why did I come to church today? I should have stayed in bed. I should have gone right for the mimosa flight. Why did I stop here? I feel worse than when I came in. Here's what I want you to know, because a lot of people think this. They say, can't he just be a God of love? Isn't he just a God of love? He just, he just loves everybody. He loves me. He loves you. He just, he's a God of love. Not judgment, not power, not all this. He's just a God of love. Well, let's say for a second, you stood, you stood in the presence of an infinitely loving being. How would you feel? You feel like garbage. You feel like the most selfish being in the universe. You'd feel like I've never actually loved someone. I've never actually cared for someone. For someone, you would feel like a terrible person. You need to realize this with Isaiah. He went down. He melted. In the presence of something greater, we go down. We go down. Did anyone go out trick or treating this year? A few of you guys. A few. One person. <laughs> Thank you. A lot of y'all stole candy, but only one of you went trick-or-treating. I don't know how that works, parents. It's kind of cold-blooded, but that's fine. Um, not this year, but in years past, when my kids were either non-existent or very, very small, we would do this thing when I lived in Newport News, and we would we'd dress up like zombies. Walking Dead was big, and we'd dress up like zombies, all right? It was real spooky. We had the sirens and the smoke machines, the fog, and we had this cage. We called it the rage cage. All right, and we would scare the heck out of those kids. They would have to earn their candy, okay? They'd have to earn it. And some of y'all, you can tell when someone's like 15, 16 trick-or-treating, you're like, you ain't supposed to be here. I'm going for you, sucker. And we would do that. And maybe you've seen in a horror movie, someone gets scared and they go flat. And you're like, that would never happen. I came to tell you it happens all the time. Because I would, we would do the bait and switch. I would come for a kid like, and they'd be looking at me and then I'd point and my man, Dylan, he's right there. That's Dylan. He's a good zombie. He'd be right above him like this. And they would just go down, smack, flat. And it was always the kid who thought he was the stuff. He would just go down. The point is this, y'all, in the presence of something greater, we fall down. We can't hold our footing. We collapse. You see, you need to realize this. Isaiah was going through this. There was a down phase. There was downtime. Isaiah had this moment. Some of you are down. You're being humbled. Some of you are mad at God because of that. But I wanted to tell you, if you're in a down phase, he's not punishing you. He's preparing you. Because God wants to do something big in your life. But what we're about to see with Isaiah, you're not being punished. He's not hanging you out to dry. He's not kicking you out. He's giving you a little humility. He's sprinkling on a little humility to send you out to do something great because you don't go out before you've been knocked down. And y'all, this kind of breaks my heart, but I wonder how many marriages ended in a down phase. I wonder how many churches God wanted to start, but they were in a down phase or a down season and they never got off the ground. I wonder how many homeless ministries never came to fruition because they had a down time and they just quit. They threw in the towel. They, they, they couldn't quit handle it. How many, I wonder how many of you don't use your gift because you were in a down phase. You're down, you don't know what's going on and you just quit. You just quit. Turn to your neighbor. I want you to tell him, tell him real good. Don't stop while you're down. Don't stop when you're down. You see, God may be calling you to something and he might want to send you out to do something great, but he's not going to send you out until you learn a little humility. 
Because if you went out and did that thing, and if it was successful, if it did blow up, if it was wild and awesome and crazy, you may be tempted to take credit for it. And you may be filled with pride and you might turn into a straight monster. And God loves you too much. He cares about you too much to let that happen. He's going to put you in some situations to build your character, to teach you some humility, to keep you focused on him. But he's going to do it before he sends you out. And if you're in that right now, you are about to be sent out. You need to realize that. You thought he abandoned you. You thought he turned his back on you, but he's closer than ever. And he's about to use you for something great. Don't stop when you're down. Verse six. Then one of the seraphim, these angelic beings, flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from tongs, with tongs from the altar. Sometimes we over-spiritualize this. Some of y'all have heard this story. We kind of gloss over it. Could you imagine the terror he felt? There's earthquake, smoke, rumbling, fire. He just said, woe to me. He just admitted, I'm a sinful man. I'm a sinner. I have unclean lips. My people are unclean. And the second thing that happens, God almost just kind of snaps his fingers. It's kind of a baller move. But this angel gets a tongs and it takes this hot coal out of the fire. You ever seen a really hot coal? And it flies right to Isaiah. What's Isaiah thinking? I'm a goner. I'm done. Game over. I'm toast. He thinks he's about to get zapped, obliterated, but something happens. It says, with it, he touched my mouth and says, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. And God said this, he said, go and tell this people. What you need to realize is this, the thing that God swept out from under him, the thing that was his identity, his mouth, his lips, that's the way in which God chose to redeem him. He said, my lips are sinful. Don't look at them. Where does God go? He goes right there to heal him, to atone for his sin, to wipe it away. There's something in your life, which you think is preventing you from being in the presence of God. And God is going to directly confront and address that thing and show that nothing can stop you from being in my presence as long as I have forgiven you, as long as I have made a way. For some of you, it's your divorce. You say, God doesn't want me. He doesn't want want me to have a relationship with him. I've gone too far. I've messed up too many times. And God is going to meet you right on that plane to show you his love for the first time to show you his grace for the first time, to meet you exactly where you need to be met. Maybe it's your alcoholism or your porn addiction or something, maybe you've never told anyone. And you say, because of that, God doesn't want me in my presence. He doesn't want to have a relationship with me. He doesn't want anything to do with me. God wants you in his presence, but he has to deal with the sin and he's gonna meet you right there. That thing you thought prevented you, that's gonna be the very thing he is gonna reveal the most grace in. Right there, right there. I call this down and out. Down in humility, out to mission. Or down in humility, out to purpose, whatever you want to say. Down means this, you must first have an authentic, real, actual interaction with God because you can't go out before you go down. Sometimes God needs to teach us some humility. Some of y'all remember in high school, you thought you were the stuff in sports and the seniors came and showed you that you had some learning to do. Okay, in college, right towards the end of college, I got this prestigious scholarship to the school up in Boston. It's called Gordon-Conwell. It's a great school. I got a scholarship there. My, my hero went there. Tim Keller went there. And there was a scholarship named after him. It was the Tim Keller Scholarship for Pastoral Ministry at his school. I got the scholarship. 
This was a big deal. Half a school was paid for. The, the dean, the president of the school knew my name. I'd gone over to his house for this party. He called me Tom, but I let it slide because of the situation. But it was a very big thing. And I was excited about this. But between me getting the scholarship and actually, you know, receiving it, leading, playing the church, doing all this stuff, there was a downtime. Because there was some time I had to look for a job. I didn't have any work. I was looking. I applied to 20 so places. I looked all over the place. The only place that called me back, you know where it was? At my college, it was the dining hall. And I'm not mad if you work fast food. But for me personally, it was a humbling experience. Having all this opportunity, having this great job, this thing. And then the only, the only thing where God said, I need you to be, is he said, for 40 hours a week, I need you to wear an apron. And some of y'all are like, what's wrong with an apron? I didn't like wearing an apron in front of all my friends, asking them if they want fries or no fries, or if they wanted ranch on the side. I don't want to do all that. This is the dining hall. It was called Owens. Y'all know anyone go to tech? Anyone know Owens? We used to call it Slowens. That's my bad. I slowed things down a bit. I'm sorry. And it was tough having to shave my face every day. I didn't like to shave my face. That's the last time I shaved my face. But God needed to teach me a little humility, a little humility. The vision here at this church is we want to help send you out. If you're ready to serve, if you're ready to go, we'll find an opportunity for you on social media team or photography or worship or production or security or A-kids or admin tasks. We will find something for you. Maybe it's 99 for the one, the homeless ministry. You probably aren't ready, but you should serve anyway. I don't think Isaiah was ready either. Did you notice what Isaiah did? Did you notice what he said? Watch this. You see, Isaiah volunteered before he got the job. Isaiah volunteered before he found out about the job. He did. God said, we need someone to go. Isaiah said, I'll do it. Here I am, send me. And then God says, okay, go to this people and say this. I think what slows our gifts down so much is we try to set the terms. God, I'll serve you as long as these terms are met. God, I'll use my gift that you gave me as long as it doesn't interfere with this, as long as this is covered, as long as we can move past this. That's what we try to do. That's what we try to do. I'll serve if I can control it. I'll use my gift if I know what it entails. Did you see that vision he had? God on the throne, smoke, fire, holy. You're trying to control that? You're trying to get that God in a headlock and say, let me show you a few things. It doesn't really match. It doesn't really match. I'm not trying to be harsh. But one of the signs that you have had a real true interaction with the living God is that you're called to make an impact in someone else's life. You can't have a face-to-face interaction with God, not an emotional experience, not I like those words in that song, but you can't have a real actual interaction with the living God and then go, go off during the day and be like, sex trafficking, who cares? Someone else will deal with that. Homeless, they probably deserved it. Their fault. You can't not care about people who don't know Jesus. You can't not care about people not in church. You can't be like, yeah, four out of five people here in the city aren't actively connected to a church. It's fine. Who cares? Yeah, maybe their marriages are falling apart. Yeah, maybe someone are questioning the most important foundational questions of life. Yeah, they need help because we all need help. But ah, who cares? Y'all, if you have a real, actual, face-to-face interaction with the living God, it changes you from the inside out. When you realize what he's done for you, he calls you to do the same for others. When you realize how far he went for you, when you realize what he's done for you, and you may be thinking this, I'm not worthy. I'm not ready. I don't quite know what to do. But did you see what happened? 
There was this point in the story where everything changed. It was the fire came to him, the coal. That changed everything. At that, before that moment, Isaiah was scared. He was wobbly. He was saying, woe to me. What am I going to do? After that moment, when God met him, when his sin was atoned for, when his guilt was washed away, he became bold. He became, he realized he now had a right to be in God's presence. He could be there because his sin had been atoned for, because God made a way. He says, here I am, send me. Two things about this interaction I want to point out. The first one is that God did it all. Christianity is not God helps those who help themselves. It's not do your best. God will take care of the rest. It's not be a good person, be as good as you can. God will forgive you in the end. No, no, no. Jesus does it all. Every single bit of your salvation is accomplished through him. Every single little bit. We see here, all Isaiah said was, I need some help. I'm a sinner. Woe to me. And God did it all and cleansed him, purified him. The second thing odd about the story that you see is the fire. Couldn't God just have said, I forgive you, right? Couldn't he, right? Like it's odd that he has his angel go into the fire with the tongs, get the coal and then take it to him. It's almost like he's pointing to something. It's almost like he's trying to say something or maybe that's a prophecy in itself. I want you to hold on to those two things, the fire and the fact that God did it all because centuries later, this actually came true. Because God didn't just send an angel, he sent his only son. And he didn't go from the altar a few steps to Isaiah. No, no, no. Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth to live among us. Jesus lived the perfect life. He died the perfect death. He lived the life we should have lived and he died the death we should have died. He took on the full weight and punishment of sin right there on the cross. That's what Jesus took for me and for you. Scripture says that we are more sinful and flawed than we would ever dare believe. But at the exact same time, We are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we would ever dare hope. And just like what what happened with Isaiah happened with Jesus, it was the same thing. Jesus did it all. Jesus came to us. He went to the cross. He accomplished every single bit of it. And now I want to talk to you about the fire for a second, because all of scripture really points to one thing, one event, one person, and that's Jesus Christ on the cross. That's Jesus on the cross. When you see fire in the Old Testament, it represents judgment. It represents God's wrath, God's judgment against sin. So what is that? It's a weird thing for Isaiah to experience. God is kind of saying, through judgment, I'm going to cleanse you. Through judgment, I'm not going to destroy you. I'm actually going to save your life. Well, when Jesus Christ was on the cross, we started to understand what that actually means. Because Jesus Christ took on the full punishment of God, the full wrath of God, the fire of God's justice and judgment came down on his head so that we could be set free. But Jesus Christ, he didn't just reach into the fire for you. He didn't just reach in. He didn't get tongs and reach in. Jesus Christ stepped into the fire for you. The full weight of God's justice and mercy and wrath fell down upon his head so that you and I, you, you and I, Yes, that we can be set free. You got to personalize it. You got to personalize it. This is the difference between treating God as an abstract concept and a reality. When you go from the idea that, yeah, he just died for people. No, no, no. He died for you. He absolutely did. He died for everyone in this room. Those two things need to sink into your heart because that is the ultimate foundation of our faith. It's this. 
that God came to you. He did it all. He accomplished it all. And the second thing is Jesus Christ stepped into the fire for you. What we thought was going to destroy us actually saved us. That's what happened. That's what happened. But I don't want to stop there. Because what happened with Isaiah is, I think it's going to happen to you. God doesn't just save you and say, that's it, go about your day. No, no, no. He starts to draw out your gift. He starts to draw out your purpose because he has glorious and magnificent things for you. Let us go to the Lord in prayer and seek what he has for our lives. We believe Jesus is on the move in Virginia Beach. And if you would like to learn more about who we are and our mission, follow us at Ascent Church 757. If you would like to give to further our mission to impact the city and beyond, you can do so at our website, ascentchurch.net. We hope to see you soon.